good morning. It is, uh, it is always a joy to be with you this morning. My name is John Robinson. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and it is, is a great privilege, as always, to open the Word of God uh, and, 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 and be able to see the truth of God here this morning. As we continue in our, uh, in our series in Ecclesiastes through smoke, um, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning. And the title of this uh, message and the passage, kind of the non-inspired title of the passage, is Evil Under the Sun. Uh, so if you've been going through this series with us, uh, and you got through week one thinking, okay, I can do this. Week two, hey, that was kind of heavy. Uh, week three, you, you said to yourself, hey, I love that song. Um, and week four, um, here we are. Uh, take some vitamin D and remember that Jesus loves you. Uh, because when we talk about evil, um, it, is, it is a weighty, weighty topic. For the believer here, um, I pray this morning that you would be encouraged by the word of God. Uh, the words from your Lord. Uh, to the skeptic and to the cynic and to the doubter, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, I hope that you can resonate with the words spoken here today uh, and see that truly the word of God and the life of the Christian is not all puppy dogs and rainbows, uh, but it does speak to the real tangible doubts and questions that you may have been wrestling with, that hopefully you've been even trying to speak to, and we hope and pray that you see God for who he is this morning, that he is trustworthy and true and worthy of your worship. As we begin this morning uh, in the topic of evil under the sun, allow me to first say that um, this, this is a vast, vast topic, and in no way, I think, do you want or have the time to, for us to cover this topic completely uh, and fully and thoroughly. Uh, but we will do uh, what we can this morning to address what Scripture brings up. Uh, I would also like to uh, just offer myself, um, and I, I believe even some of our elders would be willing to, if, if questions come up about the issue and the topic of evil, we would be, it would be our joy to speak with you about the realities of this and some of the, the implications both of Scripture and how how we as Christians deal with this topic. Uh, and as we, as we talk about evil, I, I really, I don't believe, and I don't know many people that would reject the reality and the existence of evil in our world today. Uh, the Bible would even tell us that it is, it is uh, more common to deal with suffering and evil uh, in your daily life and in your rhythms of, of your life than it is to experience like a regular, consistent uh, time of peace. And so, so to, to struggle with and to observe evil and to see injustice is common. Uh, if you are seeing that and having questions about that, that is real. These are issues that we deal with and I believe the Bible does speak to. It's really, like I said, not hard to, to see that the evil exists. Simply open your window, hear the, the fire trucks and the ambulances driving by, drive down the road. Um, you may experience and, and, you know, the evils of people cutting you off, if you will. Um, turn on the news, read the paper. We see injustice and evil everywhere 
in our world. And, um, and sometimes we, as we observe these things, can become numb to the existence of evil and how much evil there is and how much injustice exists in our world. We just hear another news story of, of this happening or that happening. For instance, if I told you that in the last six years, 259 people died from taking selfies, you might laugh. But that's a reality of, of just the existence of death and injustice in our world. Or maybe more, uh, more prominently, hearing the effects of, of the militia group, the Boko Haram, and the fact that they've killed over the last six years over 47,000 people in Western Africa and have displaced over 2.1 million people in that amount of time. That's the existence and the reality of evil. Or even that in the last six years in the the Syrian civil war, over 470,000 people have died. In the last six years, almost half a million people have died in a civil war. Or even to bring it closer to home, between 2010 and 2013, here in the Harrisburg, literally just in Harrisburg itself, uh, there were 63 murders and 223 reported rapes. And those are just the reported ones. Evil, as Koholeth says, is everywhere under the sun. Turn with me now then to Ecclesiastes chapter four. If you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter four. Uh, if you grab the hardback cover Bible in front of you, that's gonna be on page 555. If you don't own a Bible, like Matt said, please take that with you uh, or give it to a friend who does not have one. Let's read now and open up and read this from this book that we love. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handful of toil and of striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
And, throw, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end to all the people, all whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and striving after wind. May God be glorified in the reading of his word. Let's pray. God of all wisdom and power and glory, we come to you now in this time of great uneasiness and unrest in the world, in our country, and in our hearts, and in our minds, with our questions and our fear, our anger, our displeasure, and the weightiness of life. We come to you because you are good. You tell us that you love us, you show us that you love us by laying down your son for us. You show us that you care for us by sending the Holy Spirit. You show us that you desire us to know you because you give us your word. So Father, we know that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you are with us in our distress and our time of need. So Father, we confess that we are in need of you every hour of every day. Grant us this morning grace as we read your very words. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In our passage this morning, in, in Ecclesiastes 4, Koholeth makes three observations that I would love for us to look at about evil that exists under the sun. The first one being the evil of injustice, the second one being the evil of envy, the third being the evil of greed. We will spend the majority of our time uh, on point one, uh, but I would also encourage you as, um, as you have time to go back on our Liberty Harrisburg app or on our website and reference our summer series, which uh, is called American Gods, uh, on the issues of envy and greed, which we spoke pretty extensively to uh, Koholeth also will give us one more point to discuss um, uh, so we don't sink too much into depression. Uh, so we'll finish with the fourth point this morning, the good of community. So evil, 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 good. So, you know, we'll be all right. Uh, look with me, if you will, uh, verses one through three. It says this, again, I saw all the oppressions the evil, the wickedness that are done under the sun, which is basically saying in every realm of the earth. Here, Koleth is telling us that everywhere he looks, everywhere he looks, there is evil and there is oppression and the existence of evil is evident. He starts off with the words again, which means he's coming back to the point of what he's already mentioned some of these evils, which is really found in chapter 3, verse 16, which we looked at last week. Moreover, verse 16 says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. 
And he's pointing out to us that evil and wickedness is everywhere in every place, even with the righteous. Where evil should not be, there it is. I'm reminded of the most recent abuses that we've seen come out that have happened in the Catholic Church, uh, that have affected thousands of, of children, of innocent children, and the abuses of, of people that were put in places of trust. This has not only happened in the Catholic Church, but it also happens in the Protestant Church as well. There is a number of abuses that, that have just been brushed over and now are coming to light. And, and these are in places and with people that, that should be trusted that should be trusted. And these atrocities are committed against the innocent. And Kolef, as he has said, he says, in the place of justice, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. We see the truth of this. This is becoming a very present reality for us. The staff, in our staff meeting, we, we read an article about the, these abuses and, and how, they, um, how they've, they've really permeated everywhere. I mean, not just in the church, but in, in a, a, a multiplicity of places where, where we think safety would be. And we've talked about how to safeguard against them here at Liberty. And these types of events that occur, especially the types of events that occur against the innocent, the children, the, the helpless, as a father, like this is nauseating to me. It is terrifying to me. You know, as we have dedicated and baptized children this week, and as, as we pour over in our, in our children's and nursery area safety and background checks and everything like that, we, we try to do this to prevent against atrocities like this. But we see these things happen, and it's sickening, and it's, it's depressing, and it honestly, like, it creates these doubts and, and big questions. And if you are approaching these questions, and if you've looked at these things honestly, and, and you've responded with, with bigger questions, you're, you're, you're asking the right questions then, because these are, these are situations and times which, which shouldn't happen, and in places that they shouldn't happen. And the realities of this and, and the, the sheer volume of these abuses that occur, um, I mean, even statistically speaking, there are some here in this room who've experienced these types of abuses. I weep with you because these things that happen and the abuses and the wickedness of men is wrong. And we call it what it is, it is evil. And it is destructive. And it ruins lives and it hurts deeply families and friends. And how do we, how do we process through that? And I wanna say to you, if you are here and you've experienced that, we love you, we are for you. We would love to, to to talk with you, if you are willing to, we would love to talk with you through that and, and how we can share, hopefully, the peace of Christ in the midst of tragedy. But we don't want to just put a Christian band-aid on a bullet hole. And that is not the point of this this morning. These realities 
and these abuses are real. And when we talk about evil, if we are to be intellectually and spiritually honest, evil exists and it causes pain and it causes doubt and it causes destruction. And so, as, as the author of Ecclesiastes continues, and he, he continues and he, he makes the observation of the existence of abuses and of oppression, he also says this, and, and I, I want you, um, and I hope this doesn't, uh, uh, have not, has not applied to you, and he says, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. My hope for you, who have been oppressed and have been abused is that you find and have found comfort. And my hope here at Liberty is that we can be a place of comfort for the abused. How terrible is the day when we don't find comfort for our oppression and our abuse. And I pray, I pray that you find comfort here. You can weep here, you can cry here, you can cry out here. It is a safe place to do that, and we would love to come alongside of you. But in my experiences, even the, like the te- where he says like the tears of the oppressed cry out, sometimes those who have been oppressed um, have no more tears left. There is a rigidness and a, and a numbness to just the, the overwhelming sensation. So as we, as believers who may be engaging and walking into these areas, and we hear about someone's oppression, about someone's abuse and experience with the evils of sin, and we don't see tears, this is not one of those things where it's like, well, there's no tears, so there's no oppression. Sometimes the numbness just overwhelms the oppressed. And so do not use that as a justifier of of the reality of someone's oppression. Um, the gut-wrenching idea that, that, uh, of uncomforted, that uncomforted pain exists today uh, is a reality that not only exists in uh, our, our world, but our nation, uh, our country, um, our region, our city, and our church. So let us, as Christians, respond to these abuses regardless of, uh, of secondary and tertiary alignments or affiliations, but with compassion and understanding. Let us not write off someone's testimony of pain and abuse because we don't think, or we think that maybe they deserved it for some reason. That is, that is a wicked thought that we think that someone would deserve abuse. Or, or that maybe they're not telling the truth because we do not see this overwhelming sense of emotion. Let us not respond with, with hardness of heart, but let us respond with compassion and grace and understanding. Because the realities of, of abuse and of evil and how that has affected people's lives is real and it is present and it's something that we as Christians, if anyone can, can speak into and provide comfort because we are the ones who have been comforted. As Paul tells us in Romans 12, 15, we are to weep with those who weep. There isn't a clause here that says anything about unless you disagree with this person or unless you think they got what they deserved. As I said, weep with those who weep is a, is a reaction that we as Christians have to the oppression and the realities of sin and evil in the world.
May our hearts as believers break because we see oppression and we see sin and we see evil. And let us hopefully be the place where the oppressed can come and have comfort. I would ask us as believers, as the church here at Liberty, to to be able to step into these areas, like I said, with compassion and grace that has been afforded to us already through Christ. May we be a place here where people come after being oppressed and find comfort from their oppressors. May we also enter into the dark places, um, such as like uh, Capital Area Pregnancy Center, uh, such as Precious Oaks, not to lay down a hammer of, of, uh, of justice, but for us to weep with the oppressed and to share um, in, in the hand and feet ministry um, that exists and opportunities that exist around us for people to experience comfort. Koholeth continues in the next verse. Um, and the next verse is a really a response to the reality of evil and the helpless state that it can put us in. In verse two, he says this, and I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Verse three, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. When you not only see but experience the effects of evil and oppression of sin in the world, uh, I'm sure some of you have even responded as I have, is, is, is saying like, I'm scared of the world that my kids will have to grow up in. Like the realities change. You know, I was talking about this the other day with some friends of ours. It, it seems as though the parameters for our children continue to get smaller. Uh, he was talking about how he was able to, as a kid, uh, bicycle across town, and his, his parents were like, yeah, go ahead, it's fine. And like how, how that has gotten smaller, and I'm like, I really don't want my kids out of my backyard. I mean, in, in reality, there are, there are things that we see. There's exposure to the realities of evil that exist around us. You can get online and see um, if there are sexual abusers who live in your neighborhood. Like, like, that's available to you, and you go, okay, cool. Well, I'm not leaving our house, and now the doors are locked and bolted, and, you know, I've got seven locks on it just in case. And so, like, the realities of this evil can even affect how we parent and live um, because we see that evil deeds are done under the sun, and they are everywhere. And, and so, so Koholeth is saying, like, the dead are lucky, that they don't have to experience this. They experience this in their time, but at least that suffering and, and, and exposure to the evil that exists today, at least it's over. He said, and, but even better off, because they did have to experience evil and oppression and suffering, but better off are those who have never even, never even had to touch it yet, those who have not yet been born. And, and to get to this place is to see the true effects and darkness of evil that exists around us. Koleth has a, uh, an awareness to the world that up to really, I feel like the last hundred years is an, un, is an, an uncommon awareness uh, for any one person to have. 
Uh, yet with the advances of technology and the rapid rate of speed that we receive information from around the world, uh, we too experience that which Koholeth has experienced, the overwhelming awareness of evil in the world. Uh, it's as if Koholeth had Twitter or Facebook and the internet to look at just where and how much evil exists. Maybe, you know, like the Doctor Strange kind of like, I can see forward into the future, into the past, but if you're not a Marvel nerd like me, that makes no sense, but it's a very exciting thing. Um, but to, to, to go through scenarios and to see this, there's a, there's a limited scope in his time of, of what one person would be able to experience and the depth of that knowledge. And it's, it's as if he has, he has a, an, an insight to the evils that exist in his world. Research is showing also because of that exposure and that heightened exposure and the massive amounts of social media intake is causing mental health issues amongst its users and causing depression, anxiety, mood changes, sleeplessness, self-esteem issues, envy, loneliness, and a myriad of other problems. We are not built to take on the pain of the world, um, to internalize it and to carry it with us. This is limited and, 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 and really um, affects and almost provides for us a, an earthly omniscience to the world and weightiness of evil um, that exists today. But for those who are in Christ, he has taken this burden upon himself. Christ has taken the burden of, of knowing and seeing the evil uh, in our world and put it on himself. He is truly omniscient, and he knows and sees the evil that exists. He is not blind to it. Um, and so, not only has he seen this, but in, in, in taking on it, he died so that we might have life and to be able to resolve these burdens to him. As Hebrews 4, 16 through 17 says this, uh, since, he, um, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and, and help in time of need. And so, Although we experience this massive amount of like informational intake of, of the evils in the world that exist, we can um, we don't have to burden and shoulder that because Christ has burdened and shouldered that for us. And 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 as Christians, we believe and trust that that in time God will resolve all of those things. He will deal with the evil that exists. Um, and so. And so really, Koalath gives us um, an opportunity now to, to not only see the evil exist, we say yes, we see that, we agree with that, but also as believers, we must take into account the goodness of God and how he is working in um, both in eternity past, future, and present. Uh, Koalath gives us another weighty verse now to deal with, and something we will look at in verses 4 through 6, which is the evil of envy. If you look with me in verse 4, Then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hand and he eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two, handfuls, uh, two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. There is a contra con the contrasting comparison here between 
two responses of the evil of envy. Uh, first, uh, there are those who will, by their personality or, or pressing from an outside force, drive themselves to work to keep up with the Joneses, right? the desire to be better than the competition. In our Western context, um, the idea of being the best doesn't strike us as odd, right? because that's something that we've, that's been truly ingrained in us since childhood. Like you, you, have to, you need to be the best. At this, you need to do the best at this. And, and in all honesty, I, I don't mind being around the best, especially when it comes to like a, a brain surgeon or a surgeon. I, I want the best, right? Yes, I want the I want like the safest car for my family. Um, like I, I want those things, and I, I I do appreciate that. But this competitiveness of trying to be the best, to be better than my neighbor, or to have more than my neighbor has, is really what it's speaking to. Uh, many companies, even today, uh, have in their, in their mission statement a desire to be the best. Um, one of them in particular, I'll just bring up, I have a number, but one of them in particular is, is Starbucks. Um, as much as we uh, all love and appreciate Starbucks, if you're a coffee person, um, Starbucks' mission statement is establish Starbucks as the premier purveyor of the finest coffees in the world while maintaining our uncompromising principles while we grow to be the purveyor of the best, the finest coffees in the world. Um, and so like this, this desire to be the best is ingrained in our culture. And so we don't, like, we don't balk at the, at the idea if someone says, hey, you need to be the best at that. I mean, I wanna be the best at what I'm doing. I wanna be the best pastor um, that, I can, that I can be. I wanna be the best dad I can be. Like we say these things, Michael Scott, best boss, you know? I mean, like being the best is, 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 is kind of what we're expected to be. Um, but this pursuit to be the best um, in, in a competitive nature is really what is destructive here. And so we fill our lives with toil. Um, he, he says, basically, we have two hands full of toil in, in, our, in our verse here. Uh, and so... And so one of the things that we do is we compare ourselves to our neighbor. We compare ourselves to the competition, right, to be the best. Theodore Roosevelt said this. He said, comparison is, a, is the thief of joy. And so the constant need to be better and comparing ourselves to others to be better will steal the joy of the work that we truly have. Uh, so this need and desire to compete is really the evil that exists and it's something that Koholeth is mentioning here in this passage. The second um, comparison, the contrasting comparison here, uh, is, is the reaction in verse 5. This is, like I said, the antithetical position of verse 4. The envy of neighbor produces here slothfulness. Slothfulness. I uh, like one of the commentators, he said this. He says, here the fool is mistaking idleness for quietness. Instead of resting in the provisional work of God, the envy of his neighbor has caused the fool to stop working at all. He just stops working. He's like, I'll never be the best. I'll never have what he has. I'll never drive that car. I'll never have that house. I'll never have that wife. I'll never have anything. And so he sits there and he folds his hands. Instead of working um, to earn anything, he's like, well, I'll never have the best, so I might as well, and he just kind of just gnaws on his hands in and, and this desire to just maybe fulfill some minimal desire in his, in his life. We see this kind of um, imagery in Proverbs 6, 10 through 11, where it says, a little sleep, a little slumber, 
a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. In Isaiah 9.20, he says this. He says, the slice of meat on the right, but they're still hungry. Um, they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm because there is this sense of just not being satisfied with, with work and where we are to go, but I'll have a little bit here, I'll have a little bit there, but really, in the end, I'm not willing to get up and go and pursue those things. And the comparison of the two leads to a moment of, of relief uh, from this, this, if you will, berating of verses one through five. Uh, the author of Ecclesiastes says, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. He gives us, gives us a little break. He's like, hey, here's, a, here's some wisdom here. He's like, don't, don't have two hands full of toil. But he's also saying, like, don't have two hands full of rest. He's like, have one hand of rest and one hand of toil. It's this balance. Um, I, don't, I don't like using the word balance because trying to figure balance out is difficult, and, and you, you'll never balance it out right, you know. But I want us to, to look at here and, and understand that this verse uh, must not be taken out of context um, again, as a warning against sloth, um, but he, he is really encouraging us that, that the restful activity uh, of life is necessary. To fill your life with two hands of toil is destructive. You know, it, it is a destructive practice. And so... Um, it is, in essence, as he said, striving after the wind. Uh, for those who are in Christ, let me encourage you that we do not need to compare or to have envy. We don't need to build up an earthly kingdom for ourselves where Jesus says moth and rust destroy, but we work for a heavenly kingdom where neither moth or rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. And this kingdom has been secured for us by the finished work of Christ. So that our striving and our envy to, to have more and more would not be the motivating factor, but the fact that Christ has accomplished these things for us is the motivating factor. And so we work well, we rest well, because Christ has accomplished all of these things for us. And so we rest in that security knowing that what will be provided is, is coming from the hand of God. That's why we can rest. And we work well because when we work, we work for the glory of God and the good of his name. Which brings us uh, to our last point this morning. Again, I saw all vanity, verse 7. Again, I saw all vanity under the sun. One person who has no, others, uh, who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and a very unhappy business, or an unhappy business. Um, there's a favorite meme, meme or an image uh, of mine that exists out on, on the interwebs, um, and it says, money can't buy happiness, but money can buy me tacos, and tacos make me happy. Um, so if, you're, if you like Mexican food like I do, um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> this pursuit of, uh, of, of greed, uh, if you will, and if you're an underliner, underline the, the, the phrase, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. Um, this is something that not only speaks to money, but has a very um, 
has a very, very much does relate to money. Uh, according to the Harvard Business Review, uh, wealth makes people less generous. Um, they did a study of, of some participants even playing Monopoly, and as they played Monopoly and they grew progressively richer, they, uh, they grew meaner to the other participants in Monopoly, and you're like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Um, but they got meaner as their wealth grew by taking down the poorer competitors and assuming more dominance over the position. Uh, and most egregiously, uh, the, this is what it says, most egregiously, they also consumed a larger um, portion of the pretzels that were meant for everyone to enjoy. <laughs> right? And so studies are showing um, that that wealth and this desire to have more and more wealth um, makes people less generous. And yet, as it continues, and I'll summarize that article, um, that, that they, those who continue to pursue this, uh, this idea of wealth actually become very unhappy. There's a study of Notre Dame that, that um, found that, that generosity actually makes people uh, more happy. Um, had a positive effect of happiness in 93% uh, of the countries studied. Uh, because we're happy when we give things away, because really what we're saying here is that that money doesn't own me, that I am stewarding over that money. And really, to have, as the Christian does, uh, a, a theological view of riches is that, that money is God's anyway. Um, Verse 8 says this, Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. And he never asks, For whom am I toiling and, and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. I, I, I have noticed here that he doesn't say striving after the wind. He just simply says, This is, is going to make you unhappy. This is an unhappy business to do these things. Uh, so this, the, the issue with greed and envy um, and injustice here speaks to a lot of the realities of, of our life and our situation. Um, one thing that doesn't exist here in this passage is an answer, uh, and it's, it's an answer to a question that has been brought up, uh, really and has been brought up for about 2,300 years. Um, is why, why does evil exist? Why does evil exist? Why do we, uh, why do we have a, a good God and still we have evil in our world? There is a, uh, there's a philosopher uh, about 300 BC uh, called Epicurus. Uh, and the Epicurean paradox is if God is good, basically to summarize very shortly, if God is good, why do we have evil? Why doesn't he deal with evil? And he creates these scenarios and tries to put God in this moral um, box and saying if God has to operate here because he is, uh, if he is good, he must operate here. There are a number of places in scripture where, where God does address some of the existence of evil. Two places in particular, one in Job uh, and one in Jeremiah. Uh, Job and the suffering of Job is actually what our students are studying this morning. Uh, Job's response to why, why do all these bad things happen or have happened to me? Um, 
God responds with, uh, I'm God. Uh, who are you to question me? Uh, and Jeremiah asking why the evil exists and, and, and why, does, why does the nation suffer? And God responds, well, actually, if you really want to know, it's about to get worse. He never explains why. God never explains why evil exists. Um, and so for us who are believers, let us not speak into the silence that God has provided and left for us in scripture. It, it, there is a mystery. There, is a, there are many people who have tried to answer these questions and, and many people who have addressed these issues throughout history. Uh, most specifically, Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther, Lewis have all written to the problems of evil, the problem of pain. Um, but um, in, in, these, in these questions, I, I want us to think pastorally. Uh, as I said previously, uh, we are not called to slap a, a, a Christian Band-Aid on the bullet hole of pain and injustice, uh, which happens too many times. Uh, we'll drop a phrase like, God is sovereign, or we'll drop Jeremiah 29, 11, God works all things for good. And we'll throw these, these, these bumper sticker statements on, the, on a real and painful situation. Real and present evil. I have done it myself. Uh, I, I use the phrase, and it's a dumb phrase, don't ever use this, but like, God saves some of the greatest battles for some of his strongest warriors. That's stupid. But it's a reality of, of evil that we must understand and, we, and for us to pastorally respond to this is really what Koaleth gets to in 9 through 12 is the good of community that exists. That we are to weep with one another who are experiencing the, the, the effects of sin and evil. We can try to justify it and read about it. And I, I want to encourage you to, to, to research this, to pursue this. Alvin Plantica has a uh, a really good book, it's a very heady book, but it's a really good book called The uh, Warranted Christian Belief, where he talks about the problems of evil. Um, but, but believers who are in the room and doubters, uh, let, us, let, us not, um, let us not try to explain away what God has not answered. Sin exists. How can, the question being, how can God exist and sin exist at the same time? How can evil exist and God exist and he not deal with this evil? We don't know because he doesn't tell us. But I can tell you this about God and, and believers and Christians, this is our message, that God is good. That God is good. He is good and he shows that he is good because he sent his son. He sent his son to die on the cross to save us from our sin, from the penalty of sin and he will deal with evil once and for all in the end. Why does evil exist today? I don't know. Why do we experience pain and, and injustice? I don't know. It is a mystery. So as, as we sit and we believe in, in who God has revealed himself to be, let us trust him. Let us trust him in the midst of suffering. Let's trust him in the midst of pain because I've experienced and for... For thousands of years, Christians have experienced suffering and pain consistently to degrees that I hopefully or may never know. 
and yet their belief to the end, to the point of death, was there. Not because they didn't experience evil, they experienced the greatest of evil. Some of, some of our Christian brothers and sisters were literally lit on fire and used as glow sticks. And yet they did not reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evil exists, it is painful, it is real. But God exists, and he is good, and he has sent his son to die for us so that we may have life. He will endure with us to the end. And that is the message of the gospel, is that in the midst of suffering, Christ has come to be with his people. And that he will, in the end, defeat sin and defeat, defeat death. And he has given us his church. He has given us one another to do this life with, to suffer alongside of. So may we as believers pursue this good God uh, and love him because he first has loved us. Let's pray. Father, the weightiness of sin and the realities of the evil around us are, are all too obvious. But God, may we in these moments trust you, uh, even when it's tough to trust you. May your church uh, bring um, comfort uh, through the power of your spirit. Jesus, we ask this now as we come to the table uh, that we would see that you too have suffered, uh, that you too uh, were beaten and betrayed, and you laid your life down for us so that we may experience life. Lord, we ask this in your good name. Amen.